Oh yeah, here we go, practice acquisition. There are pitfalls throughout the entire process. Acquisition Unscripted, the truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your host, Michael Dincio. All right, all right, guys. Another episode of Dental Acquisition Uncensored. As always, this is Mike Dincio, your your host. And uh, today we've got a special guest uh, of mine, friend, partner at Next Level. And um, we've got a great episode um, today talking about, like, as you all know, we're working through the process of an acquisition from start to finish. And... If you're just joining in, make sure you you go to the top and you check out the episodes in the beginning of this program because the whole purpose of of this podcast is to walk you through an acquisition from literally the very beginning, working yourself through the process and and by the end you'll be the best business owner you could possibly be. And so today we're focusing on uh, the the dental the the due diligence part of an acquisition. Um, as you know, we. We interviewed Art Wiederman, a, a legend in the industry. We went through all the numbers as a CPA, looking at a practice and 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 everything with due diligence and um, everything you need to be looking at from a numbers perspective. But today's special because it's really, we're going to focus on the clinical part. And as I always say, clinical is probably the biggest threat to an acquisition. So we're probably going to get a lot into that, but I'm just going to get you right into it with uh, my guest and friend, Paula Quinn partner at Next Level Consultant. She's been a hygienist for, no, I'm not supposed to say how many years, Paula. <laughs> She's going to yell at me. Actually, why don't I hand it off and say, welcome, Paula. Why don't you introduce yourself? Well, first of all, I want to know, so if they watch this, they actually don't need us anymore. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's the whole point. That's the, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah. Then that's I'll right. keep some back. I'll keep some. Yeah, hold it back, Paula. Hold, <laughs> okay. No, we don't hold back on this show. I we know. Do, I'm just we, kidding. We, um, we yeah. So my name, of course, is Paula Quinn, as Michael said, and I've been a hygienist. Uh, yikes. I've lost count. Um, a lot of years. 25 years. I've uh, been in dentistry, uh, my 32nd year in dentistry, and there's nothing I haven't done except be the dentist. <laughs> and sometimes I pretended like I was one. <laughs> so um, that's yeah. my background. Um, and I'm ready to give you some info. Yeah, I, I think what's unique about Paula is, uh, as you as you all may or may not know, it's 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 uh, nearly impossible to own a dental practice um, as a non dentist. Um, it's only a few states that you can do that, and Paula lives in one of them in Arizona, and she just uh, not too uh, too more more recently, I suppose, if we're going to put a timestamp on this episode, she just sold. So we could get her perspective today on on how to sell a practice, but that's not what we're doing. We're, today we're focusing on buying, and she bought a practice and owned it herself, and uh, ran a, a successful practice. And um, we could we could probably share some war stories about that. But today's about the due diligence, and so let's get right into it. Um, my first question for you, Paula, is, um, you know when you went into that due diligence process, like, so 
put yourself in these buyer shoes and you're thinking like, okay, I'm buying this product. Well, I think I'm going to buy this practice. We made an offer. It was accepted. And now we're going to go in and we're going to look under the hood and really see what this practice is all about from a clinical perspective. What are some of the things that you would suggest, reports you would pull? How do you get yourself into that mentality from a clinical perspective going into due diligence? It's kind of a loaded question. We could kind of take it anywhere we want. Okay. So the first thing I want to do is, you know, pull a report to see what kind of dentistry they do, right? So I want to pull a report on codes. Um, you know, if they're doing, you know, I'm a little bit different than a dentist, but I'll just pretend like I'm one because <laughs> I've done that many of times. You know, if if I'm not used to dropping implants, if I'm not even used to re, um, restoring implants, you know, there's just all kinds of things. I want to see the kind of procedures they're doing and how many they're doing of each procedure. Um, you know, if there's one denture and I don't love dentures, no big deal. If they're doing 500 dentures, you know, I, that might not be the practice for me. Same with implants and all the above. So production by code for each provider, as well as, you know, any, any uh, clinician in the practice, you want to know um, what kind of dentistry they're doing. Um, I also want to see, how aggressive they are versus, you know, how conservative they are. So are they doing a lot of fillings? Are they doing a lot of crowns? You know, what does that ratio look like? And that also goes for obviously with along with the implants, if there's a lot of implants, um, you know, that's a little more, it's, it's not aggressive in a bad way. So aggressive, conservative, neither one of those are bad words. It's just kind of where, where do they lie in the spectrum of their philosophy and the kind of dentistry they do. Um, you want to look for unusual codes, you know, things that don't make sense. I know we're not going to get into too much of the weeds of my practice today, but I know one of the things that um, was on mine that is that they upgraded. Um, there can be some gray area in that, you know, so I have to know that if every single crown is upgraded, I'm if I choose to do it a different way and follow different rules, then... I'm going to lose that part of the revenue, that part of the production. So I have to be prepared for that situation. Um, and um, I like to look at unscheduled lists, like how many of their total active patients are on there, have their next appointment, are they good at getting patients back in? All of these things are kind of good things and bad things. It's it's the way you look at it. So some of it will look at it as an opportunity, right? So if half their patient base isn't back on the schedule. Cool. I have an opportunity, but also you have to remember, and I'll talk about this a lot throughout um, our segment here is that also could be a bad thing because the patients aren't trained that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So now we have to change the mindset of our patients. Um, mm -hmm. And then this isn't really a report, but the schedule, I mean, I'm, I'm going to study that schedule. I'm going to see how far out people are booked. Are they booked? How full are they? You know, what, what does that schedule look like? It's going to tell me a lot about how the practices ran. Okay. Wait, I just you, ran with that. <laughs> yeah, no, you did. You just dropped so much. So I, I want to just back okay, up back it up because, because folks, that could be the episode right there. If you just pause and oh, record and, <laughs> and rewind and listen and start over, like all of that matters. I, I, I want to put you in the, in the mindset of, okay, I'm going into this practice. Uh, the, the idea is for you to get an idea. The idea is for you to get the an idea of what's this practice look like um, outside of just the numbers. And um, 
you're looking for opportunity and then you're looking for some um some potential landmines right and so right. you the the first thing that you said was you know the codes and right. uh, I don't think most doctors are too savvy about codes, but they knew they they do know the 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 big ones, right? Any tips that maybe you could maybe oversimplify that code report, the production report by code? Any tips there? Get a buyer up. <laughs> yeah, hire us. Um, you can yeah. you can Google most anything. You know, there's CDT books out there you can purchase. I mean, you're gonna want need you're gonna need one when you buy anyway. Like what are the latest CDT codes, um, you know, so that you, you know, how to, those have descriptions of what each procedure is. So you could just pre-buy one of those, or you could Google like, what is it? What is a code for a crown? What is the code for a filling and um, an ADA or a CDT code, you know, look those main things up that you want to go in and find out. Like if you're worried about something, implants, dentures, uh, orthodontics, you know, stuff like that. You want to look that up because you want to mm-hmm. see how many of those they're doing. And then if there are things you're excited about, mm-hmm. um, you want to make sure that that those are things that are being done in the practice. You're going to want to look those up mm-hmm. um, and then just have an idea um, of that. Now, when you do run that report, it does have a, a mini description of each of those things too. So you can go you know, when you, once you run the report, you can go through and look that way. You know, when you, I've looked at those reports thousands of times, pretty much, maybe not thousands, but it's definitely a high hundred number. And right. you, you're looking at count, right? Mm-hmm. But you're also looking at uh, dollar amounts. And some of these reports, depending on the practice management software you're, you're into, it makes it a lot, e- it's easy to pull that report. And sometimes it's hard, but sometimes practice brokers even give you a top 10 uh, category, uh, right. not category, but a top 10 procedure count by volume, like, uh, production. So, you know, sometimes, you know, like the, the, the preventative are going to be a, a small, um, production number, uh, but you'll see really big counts. It, like when you're looking at that, Paula, like what, what are some things like maybe a ratio or, uh, what do you look at from a hygiene perspective? Because you're a hygienist. Like, are you looking for numbers uh, that make sense ratio wise or anything like that? Well, I think it all depends on the active patient. So that's the first thing you're going to want to get right. Because, you know, in a perfect world, if you have, we'll just make it a thousand patients for simplicity. Technically, you should have roughly 2000 cleanings. Now, if you're doing periodontal therapy and you're doing other treatments, some of those patients will be in that program. Um, so they'll fall under a different code. So 2000 would almost be sad because that means you don't have anybody in perio, right? <laughs> <laughs> However, you, you know, you want it to be a big number. You don't want it to be a thousand. That means you're not seeing your patients twice a year. Um, you know, you, you want to, you kind of, I mean, if you want to get really technical, you'd kind of have to say, how many days am I working? What would I want my production to be a day? Would <laughs> I need two crowns a day to make my life happy? Mm-hmm. And you'd kind of have to look, okay, if I d- divided this number of crowns that this doctor did by sort of the number of days I expect to work in a year, you could do a rough idea of, of is is that supporting? But you also have to remember every dentist's philosophy is different. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're probably going to get to it later but really it's um 
you know, there could be a lot of opportunity, which could also be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, when you get into practice, I think one of the the biggest, um, and I'm probably jumping ahead, the some of the biggest pitfalls can be, um, you know, if this dentist is too conservative, not doing things, that can also be harmful, right? Because mm-hmm. now our patient base is not used to anything. And we've got to go in and train the, the, the patient's and probably the team because they haven't been I, doing this. I mean, yeah, I, I mean the the result or or the the reason why you're digging in hitting the microphone. The reason why you're digging in and looking at these numbers is you're trying to paint a picture or tell a story mm-hmm. by the numbers, and then then you have to decide, okay, what's that mean? Rise above the numbers and say, okay, does the philosophy here make sense for me? Right. Uh, am I going to have to change something? Uh, day one is if I did that, what's the impact? And so there's a lot of if then kind of conversation. So that, that's why podcasting and, and articles and all this free stuff is you should never really live by it with a Bible, be like a Bible, because because everybody's situation is different. You as a provider is different than a practice that you're looking at. It's different. It's all a puzzle that you have to piece together. So right. Paula, we could keep going into that, but I don't think we have enough time. I just time. want to say one yeah, more go, thing, yeah. Michael, that just bounces off what you just said. I mean, knowledge is power, right? So whatever the outcome of these reports, you know, it it really depends on your personality and your philosophy. Because you could get super excited, like, this is an opportunity, this is amazing. <laughs> or you could be like, holy crap, this they don't do anything here. Yeah. And this is going to be difficult to turn around. So I think it's I think it's just who you are. Yeah. Um, but knowledge is definitely power. And I think that's what the whole point of due diligence is, is finding out what does the practice look like? Where does it stand today? Mm-hmm. And does it align with what I can do? I love that. Yeah, it's right. It's spot on. I, uh, of all of our clients, um, uh, I've got the folks that are super scared about doing this. And I've got the folks that doesn't matter what I tell them they're doing it anyways <laughs> and there's everybody in between and so i think i think you're right the key is knowing what you're buying is is it yep. whether you're scared of it or or you're excited you know and that that's that's the key so we we are obviously big uh fans of of good hygiene departments um you taught you taught me um that 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 the hygiene department is is a business within the business. It's your favorite thing that you say all the time. Um, starting to sound like a broken record with you and me in in the room because I start modeling you and and saying the things you say. But if if since since you're so passionate about hygiene, my next question is is like how do you a little bit of the sa- same question, but how specifically on the hygiene department? Do you determine if it's a healthy hygiene department or not? Because, and I, and I'll and I'll say why I'm asking that question, and you can answer it. Because to me, doctors, whether you believe this or not, the goodwill, in my opinion, is is in the the majority of it's in the hygiene department. I mean, uh, a little story sidebar: Paula bought her practice. She went through seven dentists, I think, in her practice, and she didn't. Well, she, of course, she lost some patients. Well, she did. A few, but but the the truth of the matter is the practice grew in two years pretty quickly, and that was even with a lot of dentists. And so the 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 point I'm saying to that is, 
uh, patients are comfortable with a location. They're, they, they, they go to it for convenience. They go to it for familiarity. And so the team and the hygiene department really makes a transition sticky. And if you don't have a strong height, or if you're not buying a practice that has a, a strong hygiene department, you might not be buying a sticky practice. I, I, that's the best way I could say that. So how do you determine if it's a strong hygiene department? Yeah, you're so right, Michael. I, you know, most people, when they call a practice, they call and say, can I get a cleaning, right? They don't yeah. call and say, can I get a filling? Yeah. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There's some in pain or have been told and all of a sudden they come out of the woodwork and they're ready. But, um, you know, majority of your patients that call are calling for that for that cleaning. Um, they don't care about exam. They don't care about x-rays. They want their <laughs> teeth cleaned. So yeah. absolutely. And they do spend more time with a hygienist. We spend more time as their oral healthcare provider, their healthcare provider than any other um, provider out there because we are seeing them at least twice a year, hopefully. And we are seeing them for a full hour. Um, they get that time with us that they don't get with any other provider out there. So mm-hmm. they do get a relationship with us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody wants a, a healthy, pretty white smile with good breath. So um, let's just face it. We are the heart beat of the <laughs> <laughs> All right. Enough about why you love hygiene. This is one, I get this one little segment here. So just let me love hygiene. Let, let, um, you, lo- let you love it. Okay. Yeah. So e- first things first, the easiest thing, number one is obviously, again, I mentioned it in, in the first question is, is look at the schedule, right? So technically we should always be scheduled six months out. Um, we should be pretty full. Um, whoever I see today, and yesterday, I will have scheduled six months out. Um, Hopefully. We won't Hopefully. get into <laughs> we won't get into leaving a little bit of room for growth, but um, we want to see that schedule pretty full up to six months out. Um, and um, so that's that's one thing I look at: are they scheduled six months out, and what does that look like? Um, their reappointment rate, right? So any and that kind of goes hand in hand. Anyone we see this week should be six months, three, four, six months out. So how many of my patients are rescheduling their appointment? How much do they value getting back in? What is your hygienist saying to them? Um, Also determines how strong the hygiene uh, department is. Uh, Technology is huge, right? So again, this can be good or bad. Um, You know, are there diode lasers? Is there advanced technology for oral cancer screening? Are they using intraoral cameras? You know, so the more advanced that is, the more advanced probably the hygiene program is and the more sticky it is because patients are being discussed like all the tools in the toolbox for their oral health care. So, you know, that's going to determine a lot. Do you need me to take a break? Because I know last time I just spit a bunch of stuff out. No, no, I was actually, I mean, there's more, but how do you determine, uh, like, I'm thinking uh, reappointment rate and and being in that moment of a due diligence, you could look at yesterday's schedule and you could click probably on each patient card or profile and see if they have another schedule. And then you could do a quick tally of like 10, a sample of 10, how many reappointed, and it would be a, a, a kind of a small sample uh, yeah, in, and I in think- the moment. Yeah. And I think you can tell just by how full it is, you know, because if you even go, you know, back to November um, and then you look into May, 
you can get a, a pretty good pulse. You know, if most hygienists, you know, I would say from, from zero to two weeks schedule within those two weeks, right? Most are trained to schedule um, six months in a day. Some are more fancy and go six months and two weeks. So within that two weeks, that patient seen on November 10th is going to be somewhere between May 11th and let's call it May 25th, you know, something like that. So, so looking at the, the, the density of, uh, of the previous schedule, mm-hmm. would you be concerned? I'm kind of leading the witness here, but would you be concerned if you went out three weeks? I've seen this before. And what would you think if you saw this, you go back a few weeks and it's jam packed. So that's good, right? They they're filling the schedule, but then you go three weeks out and even the hygiene is is wide open, which means they're they're not on top of it, and they're just kind of being a little bit reactive. Like, right. what would, what like how how would that mess you up as an owner day one? Like, I I'm thinking like you that would make me a little nervous not seeing right. the, the hygiene schedule packed, right? Yeah. So, you know, basically, uh, you know, they, they say, um, they, yeah, they. <laughs> for every who, who, dollar. Are we, I, they, are we part of that? I think we're part <laughs> we of they. they. Okay. We are they. Yeah. Um, every dollar in hygiene equals, and nowadays it's really $3 in restorative, right? So we, that's one of the reasons we are considered the heartbeat of the practice or the business within the business, all the different names that the hygiene department has is because we feed the dentist, Right. Um, unless they have an emergency um, or um, somebody refers them for something. And usually if you're a specialist, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you aren't getting any dentistry. Yeah. And I, I witnessed that firsthand. Right. So I bought um, a broken, broken, broken practice during COVID <laughs> and there was nobody on the schedule. Right. So, you know, every time we were lucky enough to get a hygiene patient same day dentistry was how we survived. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you don't have that, you know, eight, eight patients in hygiene, there's very little opportunity for diagnosing. I'm not saying everybody's going to have something, but somebody's going to have something. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it would be scary for sure. You'd be a quasi startup. You'd be kind of um, starting, starting, you know, fresh because the first thing you're going to have to do is start, calling and filling that hygiene schedule. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you can see the history and see that the practice is probably we've, we've managed a couple practices like this, uh, Paula, where nothing was super proactive, but maybe the front office person was really good at filling every hole two weeks out, but a, a well-oiled machine is, is, is booked out six months. Like she said in the beginning of this episode. So, um, I just want to piggyback off that as like, you know, how, actually how long should a dent, a dentist's schedule be booked out? Uh, kind of in the same vein. Let me finish up that one thought. And what I would say too, is if, yeah, there are some amazing front office out there and, and she can fill on a dime, but guess what she's doing all day, right? Filling, yeah. Um, so it takes away from patients in the practice and other things. So you just have to remember that, you know, that's not an easy task. And if it's absorbing 90% of your day, then, you know, they're not able to to do other things, although that's helping the practice grow. So um, yeah. Yeah. not a horrible thing to focus on. It's just, 
um, takes up a lot of room. And as for the dentist, you know, I've, I've seen them as little as two weeks. I've seen them as much as two months. Uh Um, you know, if you're someone booked two months out, you want to make sure that you do save time, right. For emergencies Mm -hmm. or for patients that, you know, maybe going on vacation, um, you know, losing their insurance, you know, you don't want to pack your schedule too full for two, for two months, you know? So, um, but I think pretty healthy is, is probably a good three weeks out. Um, I mean, that's kind of how I survived and I, I felt very comfortable doing it. I think it also is just, um, if you're booked, I would assume it goes hand in hand. If you're booked that far out, you're getting enough patients, but you just want to make sure that obviously that it, it, the consistency keeps happening because if you're only three weeks out and then you have a, a lull in the schedule or something, then that can really affect, you know, that fourth or fifth week. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a balance of um, the number of patients that are coming in, how conservative the dentist is, um, how good are we at getting them back in, you know, do p- patients say yes to treatment? So there's all kinds of things that go into what's healthy and how far to be scheduling, you know, to be scheduled out. But I, uh, I live by the two to three week rule. So, and I did fine. Yeah. Um, I think if you're, you know, a couple months out, it's probably a little bit less stressful for sure. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about was, um, back to the fit, um, the dentist that you're buying the practice from, um, their, their times for procedures pay attention to. You oh, might yeah, not... I was going to, I was going to get to that. But oh, yeah. Okay. Well, go, go there. Go. Because if you're looking well, we at were that... talking about the hygiene program, I know. <laughs> oh, she's taking me back to hygiene. Uh, uh, okay, Paula. All right. So we can stay on, on track here. We, okay. we, can, we can get, to, we can get to back, back to hygiene. Back, back to every, hygiene. Everybody oh. stop thinking, Dennis, let's go back to hygiene. Uh, let's They're go gonna appreciate to... this. I okay. Okay. Go. So, so wait, back to hygiene. We talked about, um, schedule schedule frequency of of cleanings uh what else did i hear i guess that was where we left the technology technology yep and then i was going to go into the perio program itself so um of course you were what what percentage of of perio that's in the practice and you know a lot of um michael knows this about me and it's it's kind of a a joke but you know, a lot of practices will be like, oh, I'm 35% hygiene. That's uh, perio. Sorry. That's very, very healthy. And yes, it is. However, if, if you had a hygienist in there 10 years ago, that was a great diagnoser and you've got a lot of perio maintenances, it doesn't mean there's new perio coming through. Right. So um, I always look at it as, you know, 50%, sorry, getting dorky here, 50% yeah. of the U S 30 and older has periodontal disease. So 50%. So technically that means eight out of four out of eight patients that are 30 and older that sit in your chair have the potential to have periodontal disease, right? Mm -hmm. And you go in these practices and they're diagnosing maybe five patients a month and they're seeing hundreds. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something, number one, we want a healthy perio program. Um, if it's not healthy, there's a couple of things. Number one, there's an opportunity to put a perio program in place, but there's also those patients who you're going to have a lot of resistance, right? Because Susie Q has been cleaning their teeth for 20 years, 10 years, 30 years, and she never told them. And now you're coming in and, and the rules are changing. 
and it looks completely different. So, um, you know, it can be a real challenge if you don't have at least a decent perio program. All right. I, I love that. Um, let's make this simple. Cause, okay. cause <clears throat> I'm used to pa- Paula talking about this stuff all the time. So I am totally following her for those of you in the car driving and, and heard that sn- snippet and you're, and you're trying to piece it together. My thought is, okay, so you've got old perio and new perio. Cause you've taught me that, um, the, the new perio would be associated to probably new patients. You should, you should look at your new patient count and see how how many back to the codes? What are those codes, Paula? For for an actual scaling route planning for a new diagnosis for those that it are. It would listening? be either D forty three forty one for full quadrants and D forty three forty two for limited. Limited. Um, yeah. Okay, and then forty nine ten is the regular maintenance. That's right? a maintenance. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm learning. Um, you know, lo- looking at that, I, I think uh, every practice could do better in this department, uh, 100%. The practice that you purchase, this is always a conversation of opportunity for me, 100%. It's, a, it's, a, it's an easy way to get a lift. Um, it, it is important for you to scorecard the practice you're purchasing in this department. Whether it's bad or good, just scorecard it and know what you're buying. Again, knowledge is power. Um, anything else on hygiene... I'm sure there is. Wait, but I want to say something about it though. If oh yes, this is a little bit different of a scorecard because if it's non-existent mm-hmm. or very very low, mm-hmm. and I'm a dentist with a philosophy, and and I'm I've definitely the younger dentist. I don't know if they just get more perio or more education on that, but I've noticed more and more that you know, there are many periodontists. I hate to say that they, they really, <laughs> truly, what I'm saying is they truly believe in it. Right. They're not trying to perform the things that the periodontists do, but they, yeah. they really believe in it and mm-hmm. they know it and they get it. And so they want to come in and they want to see that perio program. And so it can just be, I'm not saying don't take it on. I'm not saying that um, it is an opportunity. I'm just saying, know that it, it will be a little bit more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have an opportunity to bring, you know, a new clinician in a provider hygienist, it might look a little different, but if you're buying one where the, the same people are staying and this is kind of their philosophy and belief, it can be a challenge that way for both the team and the patient. So, and we've, and we've seen, and we've seen, no, no. And we've seen that, uh, we've seen with the world, uh, of, of, uh, of a, uh, hygienist being not available, um, you know, asking a, a hygienist to do something more than what they're used to doing can can be challenging. <laughs> Trying yeah. to say that as nice as I can. That's um, all right. You won't hurt my feelings. So, okay. Any any more else on on that piece? Yeah, of it? not yeah. that, but I just have a couple more things w- with the hygiene department. Um, a couple other ways I evaluate if it's healthy or not. Um, clinical notes. So, making sure that those bo- protect both. The, the practice and the patient not saying I, I don't think I've ever seen it, but you know, I inherited a practice where notes weren't real good. Right. And then I have patients calling in and there's no information there to provide. Um, 
I don't think lawsuit wise, you know, you would have anything to worry about because it's not, you know, you didn't perform it, but it's just a hassle, right? So just looking and and again, this is a change you can make very quickly once you took over, but just kind of looking through there and looking at the notes and and seeing how thorough those are and, and the templates. Um, and then the last thing is just if things are current. So this is, again, another good and bad opportunity. Radiographs, you know, is there a particular frequency for them? So it could be great because it'd be a great opportunity for you to, you know, update everything. But then you get the resistance of patients who haven't had radiographs in 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're asking them to take a full mouth set of x rays. So, and yeah. the team, you know, you get the resistance of the team. So, mm-hmm. um, updated, you know, how current are the radiographs? How current are the perio chartings? Um, how current are the intraoral photos and just things like that? Like how current and up to date and how frequent do does the practice currently uh, do things is, is what key. I look at. Yeah. And I, folks just, again, knowledge is power. We'll just keep repeating that. Um, it's, it's not a reason <laughs> we don't want to, you know, it's not a reason to, to, to not buy a practice or to buy a practice. It's to understand what you're going to face day one and having a plan for that. You know, I never use this podcast as an outlet to sell our, our services. However, our clients are prepared for all this going into it because we're looking at this kind of stuff and we're going to say, hey, look, this is about what you're you're going to deal with and and we're here for you. And uh, you can do all this stuff. You guys are super sharp. It's just getting into the details, getting getting that that detective hat on when looking at and and don't go crazy, folks. You know, we, I'm, let's back up. <laughs> let's back up because um, you could you could number death due diligence. You could spend fifteen hours in that practice looking at it. Um, it it's not about. you, you want to know what you're buying, but like when someone's buying a car from you, they'd come over, they turn it on. They might drive around the block. They're going to look at the tires. Maybe they're going to bring a friend and that friend's going to be a mechanic and they're going to pull all the wires. And, but at the end of the day, they're not going to sit around for hours (laughs) and like test all the fluids and like go crazy pants. You're going to buy the car. You're not. And that's really this situation. Um, it's really just putting a game plan in place. And Paul is telling you some things to look at so that you know and 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 you can prepare for it. Bottom line, have a plan. Have a plan. Yeah. And I think, Michael, you know, you what you said is great. And I'm going to piggyback on that. If you're buying a five hundred thousand dollar practice versus a million dollar practice, yeah. that those things are going to reflect that, right? Yeah. Um well usually said. the million dollar practice. The hygiene program is stronger. There's more restorative coming out of it. You know, that sometimes bigger cases, you know. So when you're buying a kind of a, a broken practice, you know, a, a something that's limping along, these are things that you just have to know that are there. Yeah. Like you said, make a plan to execute and just know that there are going to be a little more struggle yeah. um, with either the team or the patients. Um, but great, but you're getting a deal. It's like, then that's what reminded me of it when you said the car, right? So if you're buying a a brand new, I don't know, what do people like these days? I'm going to say Lamborghini, even though I've, you know, could care less about Tesla. Maybe a Tesla. Tesla. (laughs) 
for $80,000, you expect certain things. If yeah. you're buying a $500,000, $1,500 car, 10 year old, yeah, you still want to check it out. Right. But yeah. Yeah. you know, it's broken and you're like, okay, cool. You just want to make sure at least it's, it is what it is. It says it is, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you realize good, good, good point. Cause I, I have a lot of clients that come from really busy practices and then they're buying that 15 year old Camry quote unquote, and they're expecting that. It's like, dude, you, you, you're, that's not the practice you're purchasing right here. So everything. I can't remember if you told me or someone else told me when I bought my practice because the chairs were hideous uh-huh. and I was just kind of it embarrassed. Was, it was the seller. Or- and he said, no one, was it? I think so. And he said, no one looks at the chairs, Paula. And I'm like, well, I do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and your Patterson right. rep No did one looked too. at the chairs. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. And your Patterson rep did. Yes. He yeah. wanted to sell you one. Oh, he may have been the one <laughs> that told me. <laughs> no, he said the opposite. Right? Yeah. yeah. He's like, everybody looks at the chairs. That's right, right, right. Nobody yeah. cared. I, I, I was shocked, you know, yeah. so... Um, you know, you're, you're getting what you're paying for and, um, you can do amazing things with it. That's all there is to it. Yeah. Um, anything about the doctor side, um, that we can sprinkle in, we don't have uh, hours upon hours uh, today to discuss this, but, um, from, from a doctor's perspective, um, remember well, back to the hygiene that if you're going to if you're going to see that schedule completely built out, I want you to think like, OK, if it's like this now, when I close on the practice, I'm going to have if there's two columns of eight patients a day for six months or whatever, uh, that's how many opportunities, how many exams you get to sell your side. If if the schedule is piecemealed together and it's sparse, it's same day dentistry. I want you to think that way, folks. Uh, what And it was like that with you, Paula, with yeah. your practice. It You said it, same day dentistry. So let's talk about the mindset of that uh, because the stronger the hygiene, the more opportunities you're going to get to sell. The weaker the hygiene department or lack of uh, active patients, another way of saying that, the, the less you're going to have to sell, right? And what was that mentality for you with that practice that you purchased uh, walking into that first couple of weeks? Well, <laughs> and you weren't the dentist, and you weren't the dentist. So you couldn't control what was diagnosed. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. one thing I was going to say a little bit toward the end, but I'm going to say it now is if you think you're going to come in and be a perfectionist, um, you need to kind of rethink that process because the, you, even a great practice, there's there's not a there's not always a ton of control, right? You've got teams, you've got patients, you got a lot of human beings there, you got a lot of circumstances happening. So, as as a, a new buyer, new owner, like relax, right? Because you can't control it all. Um, I think coming in. I was excited. I was excited. I like a challenge though. That's the way I work. I work better under, um, you know, throw something at me and tell me I can't do it. Then I'm going to do it kind of person. So that's what I was saying earlier. It, it depends on the mindset of the person. It doesn't mean the latter is 
worse or better, it's probably better <laughs> because you, you, you know, you don't take such crazy risk, but, um, neither one of them's better. It's really who you are and what you want, what you can tackle. And I think that if you're buying something that maybe isn't, a well-oiled machine, you have to be prepared to roll your sleeves up too. And that's what I did. You know, I rolled my sleeves up, I dug in and I went and helped get it, you know, because Mm -hmm. it, it does take a team when it's a little bit broken, when it is a little sparse, we all have to jump in and figure out how do we fill this? Um, it's going to take some marketing too, you know, some marketing dollars. You can't, you know, you got to get some new pay. You can call on old ones, um, but you know, spending a little money and and getting some new ones in there. Yeah, yeah. No, I I I I couldn't I couldn't echo that en- enough. That that's actually a perfect. Uh, that's that's actually a perfect uh transition point for for uh our next episode, which is uh Paula and and uh, we're going to continue this conversation in, in the next episode, a part two of of this idea of looking at a practice from a clinical perspective, because um, I'm going to tell you folks, and we've talked about it a lot on this program. You could hire me, you could hire a CPA, a banker, attorney, um, all of these people to look at the numbers and grind into the business and tell you the cash flow and tell you the historicals and tell you if it's va- worth what it, they're saying it's worth and all these things. But to me, that only covers 40% of the risk. The other 60% of the risk, in my opinion, is your ability to produce or mirror what the seller is doing. And so that's, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Paula, thanks so much for being on the program today. Let's keep it going for for segment two, but thanks again for being a part of uh, a part one. All right, thank you. Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Unscripted. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dencio. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.